spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David Ige. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Well, aloha, good morning. Happy Aloha Friday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yenji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. And we are so happy, Ryan, to have a former mayor, Kirk Caldwell, on today to talk about his race for governor. That's right. We've been taking some time over the past few months speaking to the various candidates running for the office of lieutenant governor and governor. And this morning, joining us is the former mayor. Uh, who is now candidate for governor, Kirk Caldwell. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Great to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you, Yunji. It's good to see you, Ryan. And, you know, you mentioned it's Aloha Friday, but it's also Kuhio Day, too. It is. And, uh, you know, honoring the legacy of this incredible man who did so much for Hawaii and and really helped to get more Hawaiians on on on, the, on land and having homes. And, you know, it, it goes to the affordable housing issue we'll probably talk about. But anyway, it's good to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for joining us on this holiday, yeah. and thanks for all of you who are tuning yeah. in also on this holiday. Uh, first question, how are things going on the campaign? You know, we've talked to you in, on the past on this show as someone who is not an official candidate. You have officially announced that you are running. How are things going in the campaign so far? You know, Ryan, it's, it's going really well. Um, we're on all islands campaigning. Uh, we have our signs up. Uh, we're out there building our grassroots um, and doing a lot on Oahu also. Um, and so I think things are going pretty darn good. And as you mentioned, you know, I basically made the formal announcement that I'm running for governor through um, ads that I'm placing in the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And I did that um, in large part because one, the paper has a huge reach throughout the state of Hawaii. Um, and secondly, the people who read the paper, high information voters, and for the most part, they vote. And so I think it's a good use of money. And it allows me to get into some detail on the positions that I'm taking in terms of running for governor. And I like that. You know, in fact, I believe of the candidates so far announced, I'm actually getting in there in the nitty gritty and, and, and talking about these issues and taking positions, some of them somewhat controversial, um, but it's part of how, how I led as a mayor and how I'd lead as governor if I was fortunate enough to be elected governor. You know, you referenced that announcement and one of the sort of striking things, something unusual in that announcement, that headline did include the sentence, even if some don't think I can win. Yeah. Why start out on that footing? That's usually not something that someone who's running for the office that you're running for would say at the outset. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I we had some discussion on it, but I think the statement is an honest one. Um, and it, I think it reflects who our, what our campaign is about, that we want to have true in discussions and engagement with the with the voters of the state of Hawaii. And so it was um it was almost like a, a question because people think um that I have a difficult uh, road to travel and I do. And part of it is, you know, I was the mayor during some very difficult times, as you know, and dealt with the shutdown of Oahu not once but twice. And you know, mayors throughout our country, big city mayors and small mayors, after one or two terms have decided not to run for re-election if they can, if they're not term limited. And the same with governors. It was a difficult time a lot of the, these leaders took major hits um, and for the decisions they made, and I did that also. I don't regret the decisions I made, but
but I do recognize I'm a realist that there are people who are who have disagreements on the things that I, I did. And then of course on rail, a highly controversial project um, is something that I've not backed away on. And as you saw in the ad that I placed in the Star Advertiser this past weekend, I was standing up for rail um, and saying that we should continue to, to work hard to get it to Alamoana. Um, and so I think that's why I have a hard time. I'm not afraid to stand up for difficult and, and challenging and controversial issues. And I think that's exactly what we need in a governor to take us in a new direction. And it's gonna be really hard to do that. And it may not be the most popular thing, but I'm someone who's willing to make those decisions for the betterment of our community, even if the benefit comes long after my time in public service. And that's why I have a difficult time, but also why I'm you know, making these statements in the Star Advertiser and having these discussions with their readers. You know, we have a lot of topics that we want to discuss, but yes. I want to just jump off of what you uh, noted early uh, just moments ago about the rail and saying you wanted to get it to Ala Moana. Uh, just, you know, we heard from Mayor Rick Blangiardi and his proposal of having that uh, rail line stop actually in Kaka'ako at the Civic Center. What are your thoughts on, on that proposal overall? Is that something that you support overall and, and uh, where you see the project right now? Well, when you gotta almost step back and ask yourself, why are we building rail in the first place? And this whole project was started to address transportation equity and social justice, to get those who live on the Eva Plain where housing is more affordable to their jobs in town in a quick way uh, with not a lot of burden. And then also to build more affordable housing around the transit stations. And so the voters of, of Oahu voted for this 20 mile system, uh, 21 stations all the way to Ala Moana. And um, I think we owe it to them to continue to march forward. And when I was mayor, I faced the same problem, not once, but twice, um, not sufficient funding uh, to complete the project. And I went to the legislature twice and got additional funding. Unfortunately, the costs continue to go up. The budget was not realistic. And now we face the challenges we're in today. So I'm sympathetic to where Mayor Blanchiardi is, having been there myself twice. But I think we can't lose sight of the objective of completing the project because there are costs to completing the project to Alamona and there are costs to not complete it to Alamona. You know, a lot of people are depending on this project to get to the major employment centers. And so as the rail system comes in, of course, it's stopping at, at Pearl Harbor, a major employment center. It's stopping at the airport, also a major employment center, stopping in downtown Honolulu, a major employment center. And then the most largest employment center in the state of Hawaii is Waikiki. And so it's going to Alamona to get as close to Waikiki as you possibly can. And of course, Almohan is also the major transit hub for the state of Hawaii. The buses that go in and out of there, as you know, um, are in the thousands of uh, embarkations and disembarkations every single day. In fact, when I was mayor, we did a quick study and it looked like in terms of transit hubs after the New York Port Authority and the San Francisco transit hub, the transit hub around Alamoana was the third largest in the country. We need to get there so that people can then get off the train and on a bus for a short hop to Waikiki where so many jobs are and hopefully up to UH. And so we need to continue to work there. I'm, when I read what Mayor Blanchardi said, it sounds like he's saying we gotta get to the Civic Center and then we'll keep working to get to Alamoana. And I support that. We can't keep the eye, take our eyes off the end goal of building the full 20 miles and getting to Alamoana. 
one of the focal points of your candidacy is affordable housing. What are your thoughts on building? Should the state be the one that is building uh, housing? There are some like Stanley Chang and, and in his proposals who have basically said that the state should take this on and build a lot of this rental housing. Uh, a lot of others don't support that, saying that there should be more uh, focus on developers and assisting them through either permits or bonds or other ways. What are your thoughts on how we solve the affordable housing crisis and what specific can the governor's office do that it hasn't done to this point? Nanyanji, this is one of our major focuses in our campaign for governor. And I could go on for days on this. And so I'm going to talk for a while and I'll try to cut myself off. But if I'm going too long, please, either you or Ryan cut me off because I know we have other questions. But I would start, you know, about two weeks ago, I was out at Kahuiki Village, which is an example of government in the private sector. And, you know, awesome Dwayne Carisu coming together to build housing for about 680 people, mainly women and children. And I was out there in the late afternoon um, and a bunch of kids were playing pog, you know, those little circular things. And they were on the sidewalk right next to the lagoon. There was a bunch of community gardens that I'd walked over to look. I mean, just recently the, the people there had planted a whole bunch of ulu and grapefruit and, and um, eggplant, all kinds of things. And the kids were playing on the sidewalk, maybe five or six. You know, they whack down the pog and they try to flip the other pog over right side. And if they do, they win. You know, and, and I just, I got choked up a bit. I thought about the fact that these kids, before this village was built, would have been on a sidewalk somewhere in town, maybe in Chinatown or maybe on King Street or Baratania or down by Inha Park, where it wouldn't have been safe. They wouldn't probably be playing and they'd be worrying about all kinds of things. And now they have a home. And so absolutely to your question, can the state of Hawaii do more? Should they be fully engaged in building affordable housing? Yes. And I know we can do it because as mayor, we were working on all kinds of projects with our administration. You know, we built ourselves, the city, about 2,500 affordable housing units. And of course, through our ADU legislation and other legislation, many, many thousands of units came online. But here's where I think we need to focus um, to really break this problems. It's been a problem since I was born. I'm 69. Housing has been unaffordable. And I know everyone here is politicians talking. They probably hear blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is possible to do. And so the state has a lot of land in the state of Hawaii that's developable, that's close to infrastructure. And so we should make that land available for free to developers. And the state should build the infrastructure on this property, sewer, water, roads, those kinds of things and not have it passed on to the developer who passes it on to the homeowner. And we negotiate contracts with developers to agree to develop this land, that you will build housing on the island of Oahu, Kauai, and Maui in the $400,000 range and below. You'll get a certain profit, you know, a couple percent profit, because you need to make your profit. For the island of Hawaii, it's around 200,000 because housing is less over there. And we make this land available, we negotiate the contracts, we build the infrastructure, and they build, build the houses. And we can probably put tens of thousands of homes on lands around the state of Hawaii to really break this logjam. That's number one. Number two is something the legislature has started to do. Department of Hawaiian Homelands, they've committed, and it looks like this legislation is going to pass, is $600 million being devoted to build housing for Native Hawaiians. There's about 28,000 Native Hawaiian families on this list waiting for housing. The 600 million, not, I said 600,000, 600 million that they're putting out will put about 4,000 families into homes. 
it makes a dent, but not a lot. And what needs to happen, and if I'm fortunate enough to be elected governor, I will work to get funding in the level of 100 to 150,000 to the Department of Homelands every year for the next decade or two, so that they continue to march forward, putting more Native Hawaiians into homes on their lands. And we'll make a substantial, substantial reduction in the number of housing units that are affordable and get more people onto homes. The other thing is, there's a lot of land around our state schools on every island. It's close to infrastructure. Um, it's usually flat. And to build teacher housing, you know, we have such a shortage of teachers, but building housing on schools for teachers that is affordable right next to where they work will also help address our affordable housing challenge. And then finally, you know, through zoning, something that I dealt with as a mayor and of course governors deal with is we allow through our zoning code to have housing on all zoned lands except for heavy industrial and conservation lands. So for example, in light industrial and in commercial, you would allow housing. Um, in ag lands, you would allow housing for farmers and their workers. So they're next to the lands they work and on and they make sure their crops are protected and they don't have to commute to work. And the model for this, if you go to Japan or you go to many of the Asian countries, you'll see this type of zoning where they live next or above where they work. And it brings more robust and more vibrant communities, more thriving communities. And I think this will really make it a lot easier to build housing in areas where the demand is high, where the infrastructure is already there and the private sector can do that. So th these are some of the things I would do as governor. They're doable. Um, it's not a dream. It just requires the all hands on deck focus that we gave, for example, rebuilding our sewer system or repaving roads and filling potholes. I mean, those issues are not what they were when you first came in because we had laser-like focus and that focus needs to be brought to the issue of housing. I want to switch gears. Uh, another, of course, hot topic over the past few years that you've had to deal with is COVID-19, as we see are on the eve of the expiration of the governor's emergency order, uh, which will lift mask mandates as well as the end to safe travels beginning tomorrow. Uh, your thoughts on the state moving forward without masks uh, and this mask mandate in place. And secondly, the governor has also noted that any future state employee that they hire will be required to be vaccinated. Is that something that you would support as well? You know, to your first point, today is is a really historic day. It made me think when I read this advertiser this morning about the end of all the mandates by the governor and the end of safe travels. It made me think back to March of 2020, almost two years ago now that um, when COVID hit and we didn't know much about COVID, we didn't know about a vaccine. Um, we were really in the dark and, and, and strong action needed to be taken. But the people of Oahu and the state of Hawaii stood up and they made incredible sacrifices. And as a result of that, you know, the number of cases that we had, the number of deaths that we had were lower than almost any other place in America. And the credit goes to the people of our state and how they honored Kuleana and, and how they really took care and protected each other. And so I, I felt a little, you know, I reflected back to that. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a great time to loosen up. You know, the number of cases are down um, and the number of hospitalizations are way down. Uh, but we do know as we re relax ourselves, um, we need to be careful and vigilant because we could see a spike of cases again. And so we need to keep our eyes on those issues and be ready to act if necessary. 
And we need to be cognizant of a couple of things. So like you said, I do think uh, if I was fortunate enough to become governor, I would require um, that everyone who came to work in the state government, that they be vaccinated and not only vaccinated, but boosted. You know, only 30% of the people of the state of Hawaii have received a booster shot, which is really low. We know from Omicron that it's the booster that adds that protection to keep you from getting really sick and ending up in a hospital, which is the whole goal here. And so I'd require those coming into state government to be boosted also. Um, I think it's the right thing to do. The other thing is for those who are um, immunocompromised or have other kinds of um, issues, the elderly who want to continue to wear masks, that they should be supported in that, in their efforts. They shouldn't be shamed or how come you're still wearing a mask? You know, we're no longer in COVID. Um, they should be supported. And I do believe they're going to be elderly and they're going to be those who, who have underlying conditions that are going to continue to wear a mask. And we should say, all right, you continue to protect yourself. We stand with you on this. COVID is not POW. Uh, we know this, there's a subvariant now, but we can live to learn to live with COVID and manage the number of cases. We know what needs to be done now. We don't need to repeat the same mistakes. And I think um, the direction that we're going is in the right one, is the right direction. One of the things that intersects with housing, of course, is Red Hill and the availability of water. And actually one point of clarification, when you were talking about Hawaiian homes, uh, you said 100 to 150,000. I'm assuming you meant million on an annual basis, not thousand. Yes, excuse me. So you're <laughs> absolutely right. It's 100, 100, 100 million to 150 million on an annual basis to part on Hawaiian homelands. That will start really chipping down the list. So the 600 million gets rid of 4,000 homes, uh, how Hawaiian families waiting. There's a lot more. And I think if we continue doing it, we can really reduce that, that number. So Thank to, you, Angie, for clarifying that. Appreciate it. <laughs> I just want to make sure because there were some in the comments who were saying, wait, that's not enough. So yeah, yeah, um, that's absolutely right. Uh, but but going to Red Hill, because that is something that the next governor, uh, you know, this governor obviously did not anticipate that. None of us did in this in the way that it has affected our community. Those three wells are shut down. And Ernie Lau made some news recently saying that new construction might not be able to be approved to the level that we need to meet those housing goals that you're laying out. Um, because there simply isn't enough water. Ed Case was on this program earlier this week, and he did say that perhaps some development should be prioritized so that perhaps affordable would be permitted, but maybe luxury not. Um, as governor, how would you suggest navigating through this? Yeah. Because this water shortage is something that is going to be facing us uh, if those three wells stay shut down indefinitely for perhaps decades to come. Yeah. You know, I think this is a really good question. And Ernie Lau had while ago hinted that perhaps there could be a problem that would affect development on Oahu because of the, the problems with Red Hill. And, uh, you know, so much credit goes to Ernie. I believe also the governor and Department of Health or Congressional Delegation Sierra Club for really standing up and getting the Navy to, to finally make the decision that needed to be made to drain the, the Red Hill tanks and to relocate the fuel tanks somewhere else, not above an aquifer that's a lot safer. So the Navy has really burned every last bit of trust they have, I believe, with the state of Hawaii. After repeated promises to me as, as mayor and many others that they had the redundancy and, and the things in place to prevent these type of leaks, it continued to happen. And now they're faced with this total breach of trust. And I believe that there are a couple of things to get to your question that the Navy can do. I mean, if they want to restore the trust and they have some major leases coming up, you saw uh, 
Congressman Kahele on Makua, but we also have Pohakaloa leases coming up, is they need to work hard to rebuild that trust. And one of the ways they can do it is address the issue of our water shortages. And they can do that through helping build or bringing in desalinization plants to, to address our water supply. We do know it's more costly to desalinate water. Um, many countries in the Middle East do it. And I think the Navy could step up as a partner uh, with the Bar Board of Water Supply to figure out ways to make sure there's sufficient, sufficient water supply for the island of Oahu so it does not affect ongoing development. Because as we just talked, we're talking about affordable housing. You need to build tens of thousands of more units. And you can't do that if there isn't a water supply sufficient for those who live in these homes. So it's a critical. The other thing, though, that I think is if you talk to, to Ernie and something that he talked to me a lot about is water conservation. You know, we've gotten really, really good at conserving water. And so while the number of our population has grown, I mean, we saw some shrinkage in stories in the Star Advertiser yesterday through the census. But overall, Oahu has a million people. When I was born, there was about 450,000 people on Oahu. But our water consumption has not gone up dramatically. And that is because the people of Oahu are better at how water is used. So you have low flow toilets, you have shower heads that use less water. We're more conscious about how we use our water. Um, the Board of Water Supply is good in asking people to detect leaks. And so I support what Ernie said, but we need to reduce the number of our water consumption by about 10%. And I think the people of Oahu can do that. I think we can even do better than 10%. And if we do that, I don't think we have to make the tough choices about who gets water and how do we affect development. So between the Navy stepping up to help with additional water sources and with us being better and conserving our water, I think that we can go forward. That's my hope. And as governor, I surely would support that to continue to um, make sure we have the water we need and not impact development on the island of Oahu because we need a lot more housing units if we're going to address the number one issue that we face on the, in the state of Hawaii, that's affordable housing. You know, you other than climate, other than climate, which <laughs> yeah, we can also get climate. to if we have time. But uh, yeah. you know, you are obviously uh, seeking a statewide race now, running for governor, and you know there are issues outside of Oahu uh, that will affect neighbor islands. One of the major issues that will impact uh, those on Hawaii Island is what is happening on TMT uh, at the at Mauna Kea. Uh, we have a question here. Ask him if he supports the construction of T, uh, the TMT Mauna Kea. I want to get your thoughts uh, on that construction and that project overall and where you stand on that. Yeah. So the, the, the bottom line answer is I do support and believe that astronomy has a, has a position on the Mauna and I do support uh, TMT, but I don't support the way it's been done to date. And um, I think a lot more needs to be done before the project can move forward. I think the legislation moving through the legislature is an attempt to do that. And as you saw, um, the House uh, moved a bill through that's now been amended by the Senate um, that addresses some of the issues. You saw the pushback from the University of Hawaii and from those in astronomy about some of the requirements. And I think a lot more discussion needs to be made. But here, number one is that I don't think you're going to see any version of a TMT built or any other observatory built up there unless there's better engagement with the native, native Hawaiian community. And it starts before any action is taken. And it requires a lot of listening and a lot of engagement. Um, but I do think that there is a way to get there. And I speak with some personal experience and in a very small way, but dealing with Sherwoods and Waimanalo is that 
for me, if I think if, if there had been more listening early on by me and others, and I did that through Ho'oponopono with Kuiki and Kalani and the aunties, and um, listened to both sides and, and tried to address the concerns that they had, um, I think we'd end up in a better position. Now, at the end of the day, I think we all did. And that's why there's a lot of healing as a result of that for, with everyone. I think that's a small example of what could be done regarding Mauna Kea. And if that's done, I think we can see uh, progress being made on building TMT and also, um, of course, decommissioning telescopes and supporting astronomy in the future. And I'm talking a long-term future, 100, 200 years from now. We always ask you about how the book writing is going. We know that uh, when we first had you on, when you were just stepping out of the mayor's office, you said that your goal was to write two books and do a lot of camping and a lot of beach time. So how are those goals going and, and how's the book coming along? So on the camping and, and beach time, I've done all of that. Now I'm in the <laughs> middle of the campaign, but my first you know, six or so months, I went all over the place and did a lot of fishing and camping. Um, the book is written, it's eight chapters. Um, and we're now going back to those who are interviewed to show them their quotes to make sure they're comfortable. When I interviewed them all, I said, before you publish, I'll make sure you're comfortable with the things that you said. And so we're getting back the, re the, the feedback now and making the corrections where they want to have corrections made. And our goal is to get the book done in the next uh, couple months. I think it's going to be an interesting read. You're going to hear first person from leaders throughout the state who actually had to make decisions and stand behind them and live with the results. And um, at the end, there's a, a, you know, where do we go from here about, it, it's kind of a framework that I wish I had when COVID hit as to what you do when pandemics hit. And I believe there will be more pandemics, particularly with the climate, climate crisis that we face. And um, so I think it's going to be helpful. I think it's going to be an interesting read. Once that book is published, yeah, I want to work on one on rail, um, but not just the current rail system, going all the way back when Mayor Blaisdell was mayor and all the efforts to build a rail system and what the problems are around it. So um, I've enjoyed writing it and uh, it's the first book I've worked on and hopefully people will find it to be an interesting read. Did I answer your questions on that? I can't remember if there were others. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Uh, you know, as we wrap up here, I want to just kind of get your final thoughts as you move through this campaign. There are some political pundits out there uh, and analysts who say that this you are the, the underdog in this race, looking at just fundraising efforts and just polling uh, that has been done in, in recent months. What are your what is your thoughts going into this? I know you mentioned it a, a little bit at the beginning of of why you mentioned you think that pe people think that you can't win and, and your explanation for including that in your uh, announcement that you are running. Uh, but how do you think you navigate through this again in a statewide race uh, and, and something that, um, you know, could see many see you as the underdog? Yeah. You know, I think in all my races for mayor, I've been the underdog. You know, the first time I ran, I lost to Peter Carlisle by half a point. Um, he was a well-known prosecutor and I was not that well-known. And then my second race involved Ben Cayetano. I was the underdog. I think most people thought he'd win and I, I came out ahead. And even in the case of uh, my second one with Charles DeJoux, I was the underdog there because of rail. And in fact, we had discussions about whether I abandoned rail to get reelected. I said, no, I ran in part to build rail. I mean, I don't want to be that kind of politician. I, I'm going to stand behind the things I believe. And so I was the underdog there. And once again, I'm the underdog. Um, so we have a pathway. Uh, it's a very difficult one, uh, but I'm working really hard. And I believe the ads that I'm running in the Star Advertiser are showing uh, the, the kind of governor I would be, the issues that I'm talking about, 
even though they're controversial, things I'll stand behind and fight for. And I, I believe that will make the difference. So, I mean, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm humbled by the opportunity to be running for governor, uh, the place that I was born and raised in, the place that I'll die in, and, and talking about the issues that are important to this place. And I hope we can take Hawaii into a new direction. Uh, there's no going back. There's a lot of, you know, drumbeat about tourism is going up and we need to go back to where we were. And I think, yeah, we need tourism, but a different form of tourism. I think John DeFries is on the right path on that, but we need to go in a new direction. COVID has fractured where we were. There's no going back. There's only going in a new direction. I'm willing to go there, even though it's going to be tough. I'll take the slings and arrows to make us a better community where we thrive for future generations. Former Mayor Kirk Caldwell, now candidate for governor. Thank you so much for joining us on this Prince Kuhio Day and this Aloha Friday. We appreciate your time and we hope to have you back again soon. Really appreciate you doing this um, and look forward to talking to you. With you. Aloha. <laughs> great to well, hear great. from him. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, great to hear from him and, and getting uh, caught up on where he stands in this campaign. Uh, of course, uh, we spoke about uh, how we've talked to him in the past uh, and, and before he became an official candidate for this seat, but uh, great to be able to catch up with him and hear some of his thoughts on some of the issues that we are facing right now. Obviously, uh, a lot of things have changed since the last time we talked as the state prepares to move out of COVID-19, but you heard from him saying that this is a historic day uh, for the state of Hawaii as we move out of this emergency mandate with the dropping of the mask mandate and the end of the safe travels program. He did say that he would support what Governor Ige said that he wants to do for all future state employees and require a vaccination as well as a booster moving forward. Uh, we also heard his thoughts on uh, affordable housing as well. Yeah, that was very interesting. He laid out four key points. If you missed the beginning of our interview, please do go back and watch this. Also, of course, you can always catch this as a podcast in the afternoon if you prefer to listen to it on your drive home. Um, but basically laying out different areas, the state developing land, uh, the state also setting up infrastructure so the developers have an easier time of uh, create, you know, creating housing and making somewhat of a profit at a, at a lower, more affordable scale. Talking about better funding for the Department of Hawaiian Homes and really laying out how he would move forward. Also interesting to hear uh, his thoughts on Red Hill and having the Navy work to create some kind of a desalinization program for the island of Oahu. That's the first time that we had heard talk of that. We do have Ernie Lau joining us on Monday and we'll ask him about uh, what that could look like, if that's something that the state has pursued in the past or if that's part of the ongoing conversation with the Navy. Um, but interesting also to get his thoughts on the campaign overall and his pitch to voters. You know, before we came online, he did mention to us, Ryan, that he's uh, putting those shoes to good use and actually doing mm -hmm. some retail politic and going door to door, which you usually don't see from a candidate for governor, uh, and that he's enjoying, you know, meeting with people and giving them his pitch in person. He has taken a very different approach to this statewide race. Um, you didn't see a big, big political announcement. There could be some, you know, COVID limitations there as well. But really, instead, going through these ads in the newspaper and elsewhere to kind of make his pitch directly uh, and kind of bypassing those traditional channels. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a definition of grassroots when you think about it. Uh, going traditional media with uh, newspaper ads as well as door to door. Uh, but, you know, he did obviously recognize that he is an underdog in this race with, uh, you know, the polls showing Lieutenant Governor Josh Green ahead, not only in the polls, but also on the financial side. 
Uh, and so he does have his work cut out for him. He recognizes that. He says he understands that. But he says he's always been considered the underdog in every race that he has run. So uh, we look forward to this campaign and how everything spills out and pans out over the next few months. Yeah, and we also look forward to the book. He talked about the eight people that he interviewed and that he's now in the final stages of editing that book. Well, be, that book, uh, if for those of you who haven't been keeping track, is about the pa pandemic, the response, and as he mentioned, the final chapter moving forward through the next pandemic to come. So we'll look forward to the book. He hopes to release it in the summer and look forward to more conversations with Kurt Caldwell in the future. As I mentioned, on Monday, we're going to have Ernie Lau on. He did make some headlines saying that development could be uh, at least slowed down for some time because of the water shortages that we are facing with the shutdown of those three wells related to the Red Hill fuel crisis. We'll get an update on his conversations with the Navy uh, and the plans to decommission that facility and shut down and drain those tanks and also uh, how we make up for that water, Ryan, because this is something that really affects all of us. Yeah, important conversation on Monday. We hope you'll Join us there at 10.30. Uh, until then, have a great Kuhio day and enjoy your weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.